In Leviticus 10.3, as all the first offerings in the Mishkan are going step by step, we are told that Aaron's elder sons, Nadav and Avihu, offer strange fire before Adonai. You know it. And in a terse few words, they are burnt and die. In the next verse, Moshe does a strange thing. He goes off script. Here we are. We're finally doing the sacrifices of the Mishkan. And everything has to be going according to to every iota of perfection. Moshe goes off script of the proceedings and seemingly comforts his brother. Vayomer Moshe el Aharon, hu asher diber Adonai lemor, bikrovai ekadesh, ve'alpnei chol ha'am, ekabed, chol ha'am ekabed. Vayidom Aharon. The Moses said to Aaron, this is what Adonai meant when God said, through those near to me, I show myself holy and gain glory before all the people. And Aaron was silent. I think it's left to all of us to wonder whether Moshe said this to Aaron loudly and publicly for all to hear as a way of publicly saving face for Aaron, preserving the honor of Nadav and Avihu. Through those near to me, I am sanctified. In other words, they have been taken because God loves them so much. They are so near and dear to God. And thus, not surprisingly, so many of the Midrashim follow that by saying that Nadav and Avihu, far from being problematic, they were they were too close to God in soul and therefore in body. Or was the statement said off script under his breath, Moshe to Aaron, as a personal condolence to his brother? I imagine that the latter, I imagine it really is the latter. It's not out loud, God is sanctified by those, but it's, it's more brother to brother quietly under your breath because the text does not say that this was said for all to hear, and none of it originates from God. So it seems like a whispered condolence, a private communication. And in fact, the commentators struggle to find the original text Moshe is referring to, as God said, blah, blah, blah. There, there's no place that God says that. So the commentators use it as a competition, Rashi, Ibn Ezra, even more, to find the source text that Moses is apparently quoting because he said God said it, and it doesn't seem so. One commentator, however, goes in an entirely different direction. Sforno, Rabbi Ovadia ben Yaakov Sforno, the early 16th century Italian commentator, does not see Moshe's statement that God is sanctified by those near to him as being a condolence about Nadav and Abihu. He reads it as a well-placed piece of advice to Aaron. You are the one that in this very moment is close to God. What you are about to do next will either sanctify God or not. Choose carefully. By those near to me am I sanctified. What are you about to do next? Because you are near to God.
And then the verse ends with, Vayidum Aharon. Aaron kept silent. Immediately, Nadav and Avi, whose burnt bodies are dragged from the altar area in verse 5. And in the next verse, Moshe says to Aaron, Eliezer, and Itamar, do not bear your heads and do not rend your clothes, lest you die and anger strike the whole community. But your kinsmen, all the house of Israel, shall bewail the burning that the Lord has wrought. So Moses says to Aaron and his sons, others can feel bad, others can feel grief, but you have a job to do. And you need to do it to sanctify God. At this moment of grievous loss, Moses instructs Aaron to delay his mourning. The stakes are too high right now. The altar service has just been inaugurated and all have just witnessed the mortal consequences of any hiccup in the chain of operations. He and his sons have been anointed and in the position of carrying out the requirements of the community. Yes, he has experienced the death of his sons. They have experienced the death of their brothers. But their actions now determine whether other deaths will follow from those outside of their family. They must soldier on so the tragedy not strike again. Crucially, they are not permitted even one moment of public wailing, of losing control of their emotions. The welfare of the community comes first. Aaron's responsibility to save the lives of others comes with his position. He may not waver. He must sanctify God, as Sephorno seems to get it right, by continuing his public role of service. We are experiencing this reality all around us right now. As the death toll worldwide has rapidly passed 150,000, 150,000 souls. Many have been asked to forego the process of grieving. And yet another strange synchronicity of the Jewish calendar and the pandemic, like the plague and the sheltering in place Seder itself. We have just had the week of Chag, whereby according to Jewish law, public mourning is forbidden. According to Masechet Moed Katan, there are times when the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. And in that case, the national weeks of festivities of Sukkot and Pesach are two examples. Since anyone asked to comfort the grieving would surely halt their week of family vacation and spend the rest of it cooking and sitting with someone during Shiva, the Shiva itself is postponed. Or in the case where it's already begun earlier, the Shloshim, it ends. Similarly, one sitting Shiva does not go to a wedding feast, not because it would be emotionally distressing to them, as we often interpret it, but in its original context, because others would surely interrupt their celebrating to comfort the grieving, and therefore forego a once-in-a-lifetime public celebration. It is not lost to us that we now have wedding celebrations postponed for the sake of the necessary continuation of our operations. How painful is it for the grieving? How painful is it to have one's shiva or shloshim cut off by the beginning of the holiday? Too many have experienced it. As loved ones are dying and families need to mourn, they cannot be at graveside right now. They cannot gather with loved ones. They cannot hold their hands. 
They cannot grab a shovel and help bury their dead, their own family, their kin. They cannot do the rights. They are told to put it on hold. The needs of the many outweigh their needs. And we have to make rules because honestly, the rest of us would likely come to your aid if we were given the choice. We now understand that the law isn't cruel, it's protective. The story of Aaron goes to yet a deeper level, another level, as Kohelet Ecclesiastes distinguishes, there is the issue of the time for mourning, but there's the issue of the time for wailing. So the story of Nadav and Avihu goes even further. Aaron may not even wail, for he is the public servant and he has a job to do. He remains silent and continues the process. I'm thinking of so many of you and so many of those that we love all around us. I'm thinking of a mother I just spoke with who is caring for her adult children who were sick with the coronavirus and her husband who was sick with the coronavirus. And they were all in separate parts of the house. And like the Levites of old, we'll read about it next week with Tazri and Mitzor and other things. She's cooking for them and aiding them and trying to protect herself. And then she herself comes down with it. And I asked her what she did, you know, and she's telling me, I did my best to rest on the couch, but someone needed to take care of them. She even put her own illness like on hold to care for others. I'm thinking of, of course, those in the congregation who's had to put on hold her, her shiva for her own mother. I'm thinking about uh, doctors who, that, like Aaron, they suck it up and they're silent and they go out to work and they try to mask up and all of those kinds of things, but they don't know whether they've brought it the virus back into their homes, into their families when they return home. And it's like Aaron, it's like exactly, it, it's like in this moment, you don't even have that moment. You can't go there. You can't go to that place. You, you know, you have to just one step at a time. If there is any hope happening all around us now, it's all of them. It's all of you. We clearly see now that our hope will not come from centralized leadership. It's coming from all of the people who are putting their lives on hold and their feelings on hold because they are rushing to help the rest of us. And there are so many companies who are cooperating with each other, with the people who used to be their competitors because they're racing to help all of the rest of us, doctors and pharma lab workers, even executives, CDC workers, all the people who are working within government and the private sector, and epidemiologists and microbiologists, and, and, and I'm, I'm forget every, everybody who's got a lab. They're even inventing new ways to collaborate. And it's from there, and I mean, and, and what's going on in Israel, for any of you, and I know you know what I'm talking about, if you read the Israeli papers, it's like Israel is just like these thousands of points of light of people rushing to, to, to do what's never been done before, to, to create vaccines and, and tests and methods and in, it, to, to save us. In many ways, they are on this, this other level. 
we realized the grief level was protecting us. When, when we say, I'm sorry, but you must put some grief on hold, because otherwise we would rush to your aid and put ourselves at risk. We realize some of that is protective. And we realize that putting even the moments of fear and concern and anxiety on hold is curative. Aaron holds even one moment of losing control emotionally because his focus must remain on the job at hand. The stress is enormous, and Aaron receives two pieces of private comfort. One is oddly from God. God speaks to Aaron privately without sharing this with Moses, telling him not to turn to alcohol, not to deal with distress by drinking. Some of the commentators find this, and it makes perfect sense to say, he's saying this is what Nadav and Abihu did in the first place. They were drunk when they brought strange fire. It doesn't necessarily say that. It's a legitimate interpretation. I mean, it says they brought strange fire, and that's what caused it. It didn't say that they were sloppy with what they were doing. Um, and so some of the commentators in the Eitz Chaim points this out. See it as when you are told you're not allowed to feel, and when you are told you are deprived of the human connection, of, of the human connection. And I don't know about you, but I, I, even now I, I, I see it in my own home. I, I see the, the bottles of kosher for Passover wine that we never drank sitting there collecting dust. And sometimes I wonder if that's the only, it, that's a very tempting out right now when you're stuck in your home and you're told you're not allowed to feel that maybe the bottle is a place of comfort. And I'm with those rabbis right now who say to, that this is an act of love to Aaron, that he gets a personal instruction from God, not the bottle. And Moses, just a few verses later, chastises Eliezer and Itamar for not eating the community's offering according to procedure because they're supposed to be eating it in the sacred place, but they're eating it with their father privately. In what is, in truth, the first rest break built into their demanding work schedule, Aaron snaps back at Moses that given what has befallen him this day, wouldn't God understand? Ibn Ezra explains, it was probably that Aaron wasn't even hungry and he couldn't eat. Would it be better for him to be sitting there publicly not eating the, 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 the approved offering? Or is it better for him to be doing that privately with his remaining sons? And then it says, Moshe approved. What seems like such a harsh and unfeeling section of Torah comes alive for us now. It is not that God wants those serving the community and those mourning to suffer for the greater glorification of God. It is that the safety of our communities and the very hope we have is to have those individuals who are working tirelessly for us, continue operating. And they are, and they are our hope. And by doing what they are doing and making their personal sacrifices, they are, as Moses originally told Aaron, that's what it means to glorify God. Shabbat Shalom.